Heaven Inside. I am so excited about that, and um, I hope that uh, tonight that that you would just open up your heart and your mind and your soul to receive the Word of God. It's it is powerful to save. It's powerful to deliver us from so many of our fears and our anxieties and just everything that's just weighing heavy on us. And um, I think it's it's awesome that we have a God that wants to reach us where we at, no matter what, where we're at. So in 2018 and 19, our Bible study series uh, that the Holy Spirit led us to study was on the attributes of God. And I believe then and even more now that it was to shore up our faith for the storms that were coming. And I know it really blessed me. It, the studies on the attributes of God are still in my heart and my mind. And I hope they are in those of you that were here for those uh, studies. Then in 2019 to 2020, we took what we learned about the character of our triune God and we studied how this same powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, holy God lives in us. And because he does, we as individuals have the ability to live in this world holy and powerfully because Jesus lives in us. How many of you were here for that series? Christ in us. <laughs> A baby. <laughs> Good. She needs to hear the word, too. <laughs> now, in our new season, we are going to go one step further. We are going to study how to take what the Holy Spirit has imported into us through these studies and how to export them to the world around us that is in desperate need of what we have and what we know. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do that, to get us ready to be deliverers of this message. Father, we bow before you. Once again, Lord, I have to bow before you to ask you to please help me, Father, through the power of your spirit to speak these truths to my sister, that, we, um, that they would go deeper than just our ears, but deep into our souls, Lord, that would penetrate our own lives so that we can take what we know and the love we have for you out to this world that is desperately searching for something, and they don't know what it is, but we do, and we want to make sure that they know through us. In Jesus' name, amen. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11 is our theme passage for this year's Women's Bible Studies. And tucked in between these verses is verse 10, which is our theme verse. So Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote this letter. And I'm going to start in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. 
If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion which is authority forever and ever. Amen. Now, in preparing for this introduction tonight, and that's what this is tonight, we're in, it's an introduction into our series. I came across a few other messages from pastors who had also taught on this, um, these verses and the, mes- and the titles that they gave for their messages. Skip Heisick titled his message, Living Like There's No Tomorrow. I love that title. I didn't hear his message. I just love the title. But I know what he was going to talk about because he's talking on these verses. But it's almost like just in the title alone, you live today like there is no tomorrow. What would you do if you didn't have a tomorrow? What would you do with your faith, with your life? Wouldn't you want to go out and tell somebody that tomorrow's the last day, you guys? Do something today. So I love that title. Another pastor on Bible.org, which I couldn't find his name, he titled it Living on the Edge of Eternity. And doesn't it feel like that? Like we're on the edge. Like we're at the threshold of seeing the pearly gates because of everything that's going on in our world. Not just our country, but the world. And it's, it's devastating. So I feel like we are on the edge of eternity. Adrian Rogers titled his message, Lifestyles for the Last Days, from his series called Timeless Truths for Tough Times. He always has a way with words, and I did get to hear his message. It is amazing. I encourage you, Google it. Whatever you got to do, find it and listen to the whole message. It is powerful. But Adrian Rogers passed away. Actually, he moved into glory in 2005. So this message that he gave was most likely several years before he moved on into glory. But yet, it's as if he came back to life and he was teaching it for our time today. Everything he said was so relevant. The Bible is never going to be obsolete. Don't ever let anyone persuade you otherwise, that it's antiquated, it's old, it, it has nothing to do with our lives today because that is a lie It's a lie from Satan, and he wants us to believe that we are believing in something that has no meaning for today. So now we have titled our series, Gifts for Giving. Our title doesn't focus on the last days. However, the heart of this series does. Let me repeat that. Our title, Gifts for Giving, does not focus on the last days, but the heart of this series does. So I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this whole series. We are living in the last days. Now with this said, let's start digging into our passage. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now people have been watching and praying for Jesus' return since Pentecost. That's in Acts chapter 2. So that's well over 2,000 years ago. When I first heard the gospel and about the second coming of Jesus, it was in 1973. It was called, that time was called the Jesus Movement. I was only 19. 
It was a fantastic time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of which I am so grateful to the Lord that I received the Lord at that time in my life. I got to see thousands and thousands of young people coming to Jesus, of which I was one. We literally had to wait in lines to get into church. Anybody remember that? You had to wait in a line. You had to get to church almost two hours early if you wanted to get into the sanctuary. Otherwise, you would sit outside. There was such a hunger for God's word. There was such a thirst. There was such a passion that we would drive miles and miles to get to church. We lived in Covina. We went to Costa Mesa. We didn't know if we'd get there on time, but we sure tried. And we would hear the word, whether it was inside or outside. (laughs) Back in those days, we were outside too. Well, even the old wineskins, the old Christians that were in their 50s and their 60s, had been in the Lord for many years and were waiting for the Lord's coming, they became renewed in the joy of their own salvation, watching all these young people coming to the Lord. At first, it wasn't so exciting for them. In fact, down the street here, Assemblies of God Church, that was my first Christian church I ever set foot in. And I came out of a Catholic church. So when you're coming from a Catholic church to a Pentecostal church, it was like, whoa. (laughs) It was an awakening. But it was amazing. It was new, and the Word of God was being taught. And it just woke me up to something I knew about Jesus from a long time ago, but I didn't know him in the Word. Well, back in the 60s and the 70s, which is when I grew up, there were similar things going on in our society that are happening now. Things so horrible that at the time we thought they were horrible. And I think that's why so many young people were coming to the Lord because they were seeing all the chaos and wanting answers. What do we do? Where do we go? And then all of a sudden everybody started talking, Jesus, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. So then there was this revival And in many cases, just a whole new learning of who Jesus was, as with me. Well, those same things are happening today, only I would say 100% more, 100% worse. Now, throughout history, whenever horrendous events take place around the world, it does cause people to look up and to pray for a divine intervention. And it's only Jesus that promises to come to our rescue. All the other gods, all the other um, idols that people have raised up, men, they all eventually died or in the grave. Jesus is the only one who rose from the dead and promises us an eternal life. And that's what drew them. Adrian Rogers said, When we are living in dark times and nothing makes sense, and doesn't a lot not make sense right now, like what's happening with the police, all kinds of craziness. It just doesn't make sense. It's like it's living in the light of Jesus's promises to come again that we understand the necessity of his return. And so when I see everything, I'm like, Lord, you've got to come back. You are the only answer. No president running for office can do it. No government, no big hearted person, only Jesus. But as we wait, we need to pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
just like it was back in the 70s. Pray for revival. Pray that this generation, and I wish these seats were filled with 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, but instead they're out on the streets running amok, don't know what to do. They're trying to avenge deaths. But the only one that could avenge death is Jesus through life, right? He's the only one that can give life and understanding to all the chaos. There was a lady I heard on, um, on the news, and she was yelling to everybody, rise up, rise up. Rise up to destruction. Rise up to horrible things. She wasn't telling them, rise up and stand for righteousness. No, rise up and stand for destruction. That is not the way. Now, when you are expecting someone to come to your home, don't you usually, you know, like maybe you have a dinner date, people are coming to your house, and, you know, you're telling them a certain time, and so, you know, you're looking, are they here yet, are they here yet? Usually I'm burning my food because I'm, you know, are they here yet? Um, and then you um, maybe go to the window and check, or I'll hear my gate creak, and I'll know, oh, they're here, they're here. Or you'll hear the sound of a car pull up in the front of your house, and you know, oh, they're here. And you're excited, and you're anticipating this great time you're going to have with them. Well, that's the way that we should be watching for Jesus' return, with excitement and assurance that he is coming. He is going to keep his word. Some people may bail on you when the food's on the table, but he is not going to bail on us. He is coming. He has promised, and he is faithful. He cannot lie. In 2 Peter 3, 12 Peter wrote, looking for the hastening and the coming of the, of the day of God. That word hastening means, hurry, Lord, come quickly, Lord, hurry. And have you done that? Like, when you see what's going on, Lord, surely you're coming back. I know for me, for, for the last couple of years, the things that are happening to children, uh, in my younger days, they were called kidnappings. Today, it's called trafficking. It's like, and worse, than ever before. And, and you hear it on the news, they talk about it, but then it goes like from talking about the trafficking to like, it's a sunny day tomorrow, the weather's going to be this. I'm like, it's like everyday news, nothing new. It, it's horrifying. And so I'm calling, Lord, please come quickly for these children. Come for them, Lord. Come for all of us. Now, in my early days as a Christian, I was taught and trained through the teaching of the Word of God to always be looking for the second coming of the Lord. In fact, my pastor, Raul Reese at the time, he would always say, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh or near. I think he used to say night. Your redemption draws night. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> but we knew what he, exactly what he meant. So those words were embedded in my soul. They, they kept me watching. They kept me waiting. They kept me praying. They kept me in that spirit of wanting to be ready for his return. And in fact, even more so today than before. And to be honest with you, I was 19. I never really thought with everything going on that I would live to see the day that I would look in my earthly mirror and see an old lady. <laughs> With gray hair. I thought, I thought I'd be gone by now. <laughs> you know? But here I am. I'm 66 now. So all the more reason why I want to tell you today what was told to me 47 years ago 
in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Behold, I mean, beloved, behold too. Do not forget this one thing. You forget a lot of things, but don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or laziness, but is long-suffering. He's patient towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I know you all have family members, people you love here, that are you are here tonight, that you've been praying for their salvation. You've been praying they would come to the Lord. You've been praying for years, maybe. Maybe that's why the Lord's tearing. Quit praying that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we need to keep praying. God is merciful and full of mercy and grace. He wants to save those that we are always praying for. So never stop, because we've seen miracles over and over again. Verse 8, and above all things, he said, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now that word fervent puts the word love in a whole different category of the usual use of the word. The first use of the word fervent in the New Testament is when Jesus used it in Luke chapter 22, 14 through 16. It says, when the hour had come, he, Jesus, sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, with fervent desire or fervent love, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of the, it again until I, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's saying there that the next time he breaks bread with them, it's going to be in paradise. But in the meantime, he says, I'm going to suffer for you. And I have this fervent desire to eat with you and to go to the cross for you. Now, in the original Greek, fervent means with intent, without ceasing. So you see, God intentionally sent his only son. It was not a mistake that he died. It was his glorious plan to demonstrate the infinitude of God's love in giving us the gift of salvation, which is the greatest gift of all. In John three sixteen through 17, Jesus said, now keep in mind, Jesus said this before he went to the cross. So it was a done deal. He was going to the cross and nothing was going to stop him because that was his glorious plan. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He was born as a man and then he was going to die as a man, but also die as our God, our Savior. And whoever, and that's whoever, no matter what race you are, no matter where you come from, no matter if you're rich or poor, no matter what your status is in life, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Now here's the kicker and the command to this. Peter said, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. On the authority of Jesus calling, calling on Peter's life, Peter is commanding us to have the same kind of love for one another. It's a dying-to-self kind of love. It is an unconditional kind of love. Now, is it easy? It is easy to fall out of love with humanity. When they hate you and they terrorize you 
and they abandon you and they mock you and they slander your name and they lie and wait to kill you. But Jesus went to the cross anyway. His fervent love never ceased. It was, condition, it was never conditioned on being loved back. Now, our next study is on love, on this extraordinary kind of love. And I urge you to please come back to hear it on October 8th to learn more because there is so much more to learn. I just gave you a little crumb of what you're going to hear on our next study. Now, when you look at our calendars, which is a beautiful calendar, um, Rita and I put our gifts together, and we came up with this for you all, but it's beautiful. But when you look at our calendar, you're going to see a list of 16 words. Some people can look at these words and perhaps define them according to some collegiate dictionary. But when you define these words according to the Word of God, the Holy, and, um, the Holy Bible, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, these words become infinitely more. And they are vital to our lives for everyday living, and they are vital to the lives of the people around us. No world dictionary could ever define them or put, in them, in, put them into context the way the Word of God can. Now, every one of these 16 words has its roots tethered in the character of Jesus Christ and his intentional love. So what is that saying? Our love towards people has to be intentional. They don't earn it. They may not deserve it, but we intentionally give it to them anyway, just like Jesus did. Now let's look at verse 9. It says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is going to be another study in itself. So I'm not going to teach on it tonight. So I want you to come back on November 5th <laughs> to come and hear that message because it is a powerfully needed subject in the church today. I believe the church is lacking in this gift. And we need to know it. The Bible instructs us in several places that we are to have it and we are to use this gift. Now, I want to focus tonight more on the word grumbling. <laughs> grumbling also means grumbling or murmuring or grudgingly, I'm sorry, or murmuring, which is defined as a low, indistinct, but often continuous sound. That's what murmuring is. So it's not like anybody can hear you mummer, or murmuring like, oh, I got to go serve tonight. Oh, I got to go back to church tonight. I just was there yesterday. Now I got to go serve again tonight, tomorrow. We don't hear that. Although sometimes for those of us that have seen it for many years, we see it. We don't hear it, but we see it. Trust me. But you know who hears it deep in your heart? The Lord, the Holy Spirit. When Peter wrote this letter, he wrote it to the church who had come a long way from Acts chapter 2, which when, is when the birth of the church came about, the church that belongs to Jesus. The church started out with outstretched arms. They had love to accept one another's differences, to open up their hearts, their homes, their cupboards to strangers. In fact, in those days, in, in the beginning, first chap, uh, chapter 1 of Peter, he says that the church, he was writing this letter to the church that was dispersed, that was scattered. A lot of them were kicked out of their homes. They were ostracized. They were persecuted. They were in a lot of trouble. And so Peter was writing this letter to encourage them. 
Now here Peter is um, basically reminding them of where they started and where they need to go back. Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. People do grow weary in doing good. It's just a fact. I've seen it, I've experienced it, and the pain of it, and I myself did it. Now, many years ago, when I was not new in the faith, but new in serving, I had never really served the Lord. I did a little, but not very much. And I was living in a mountain community, and we started going to that church. And um, people were, they kept telling my husband and I, you guys need to serve. You guys need to serve. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not for us, you know. And then finally we did. And then I got to know some of the people that were serving. And there was one woman in particular who had an amazing voice, beautiful singing voice. She was the only one that had a voice like that. Always would be, you know, the one to be called upon to sing. And whenever she would sing, it was like, you know, there was the choir behind her and, and everything. But that voice was just, would just bring us into the presence of God. It was so lovely. And one day I was with her, and she was just like, oh, I got to go to church now. I got to go and do this. I got to go sing again. And I go, oh, but, but you have an amazing voice. And she says, yeah, but I'm always the one that has to do it. And I'm like, but no one has a voice like you. And I go, if I had a voice like you, I would be singing every day. And it's just such a powerful gift. Well, when she said that to me, I was stunned. I had never heard anyone do that before. I was with Calvary when it first started, and people were excited to serve. I wasn't, but they were, and I saw it. <laughs> hey, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> and, um, but when I heard it like that, and I remember telling them, you know, hey, you guys should serve, and I'm like, oh, man, I had that kind of attitude, too. And years later, after many years of serving, I got that attitude again. And so I remembered, man, I was ready to condemn her, and I did the same thing. It, it's really not pretty. It's really an awful thing to get that way. But when we start grumbling and murmuring and complaining about giving of ourselves and of our gifts, it's seriously time for you to get on your knees and repent and ask the Lord for forgiveness. And to restore that joy, not only of your salvation, because that's what salvation does, right? It makes you want to do something with it. And to get up and get out and start serving the Lord. And you know what? You'd probably be blown away by what gifts you, you have. Verse 10, speaking of that, verse 10, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, when we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we... Um, and we received salvation from him. We also received from him the whole, by the Holy Spirit gifts. These gifts unite us with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Being born again of the Spirit, we have spiritual ties to the Heavenly Father's character and to his holiness. So these 16 words that are on this calendar, um, they are drawn from God's holiness, from who God is. I was talking to a young woman not too long ago who was um, telling me about all the wedding gifts that she got for her wedding and how when they unwrapped a lot of them, they were able to use a lot of them, but they got so much that they literally left a lot of them in their packages and stored them in the garage. And they have already been there for two years. 
And um, so she has no idea what's in those packages. I told her, you know, some unsuspecting gift giver is probably wondering why you haven't thanked them for that coffee maker or for that bagel toaster or for that warm, cozy blanket. Wondering whatever happened. I don't even know if they like those gifts or if they're using him, using them. Can you imagine if the Holy, as the Holy Spirit is watching us, and in his still small voice, and that's usually how it comes, his voice isn't saying to us, um, now is the perfect time for you to unwrap my love, my grace, my mercy, my hospitality, my kindness, my forgiveness. That's a big one. And the list goes on on our calendar. But then we say, no, no, not today. I've got a headache. My house is dirty. My fridge is empty. Not happening with that person. <laughs> or even saying, I'm not even sure if I have a gift. Well, that would be calling the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, a liar. A good steward is a type of caregiver or manager. I'm sorry, a steward. A good steward is someone who faithfully carries out his or her duties. Manifold means variety or various. Manifold grace of God is the variety of ways that we can experience God's gracious virtues within us and share those virtues with others. Read 2 Peter 1, 1 through 21. I tell you, these two letters are vital and they go together. Read that on your own. It talks about the divine nature. I couldn't because of time. Then we go on to verse 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability with which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These gifts are basically put into two categories. First, we have the speaking gifts. The word oracles means prophecy or words of God. The New Living Translation puts this verse like this. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Now, I'm speaking, and I know God speaking would be much more divine. But I am speaking to you. And as boldly as I can to encourage you to pay attention to God's word. Now, I thank God for all the teachers that I had in my life that helped me to understand the word of God, that helped me to learn that I needed to apply the word of God for my daily life and not just sit there with my bags packed waiting for the rapture, because that's the way it was for the long time, longest time. Till finally I realized, gosh, I guess I should start learning about, you know, what these things mean. So I started actually listening to Bible teachers on the radio. I lived up in the mountains, and um, we went to this little church, and the pastor there was excellent, but I needed more. I was still that, in that hungry mode now. And so I put on the radio, and I was listening to Bible teacher after Bible teacher after, remember Lloyd Ogilvie? <laughs> he was one of my favorites. But then there was this one teacher that would come on, J. Vernon McGee. And when I would hear him, I'm like, oh, there's that guy again. He's... But there was the guy after him I wanted to hear. But I would leave it on so that I wouldn't miss it. But he had a voice. He had like a tone in his voice and a drawl and dry humor. And 
And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'd start washing dishes and cleaning and waiting till it was done, and then I would come back when it was almost done. And one day I heard him say something. It caught my ear. So I went over, I sat down, and I heard him. And then the next day I heard him, and the next day I'm like, oh my goodness, what an amazing teacher. He blew me away. He opened up the word of God to me. If only he knew how powerful he was. I'm, I'm saying this because don't be a respecter of teachers. If the word of God is being taught, listen. Listen for the Holy Spirit will give you something in that word. We all have different personalities, different ways of presenting the word. But it's the word. Now, you need to know the word in case somebody gives it to you wrong so that you can know, head out the door. It's not right. It doesn't align with the scriptures. But I encourage you, feed on the word of God. I was feeding and growing by leaps and bounds. And then I was able to hear the Lord's voice say, now go, go back, go back off this mountain and go and tell them about the Lord and how good he is. One of my favorite sayings is, preach the word at all times, and if necessary, use words. Our actions say a lot. They can speak volumes. You don't have to necessarily have the gift of teaching to teach godly principles. In 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, Paul wrote, You are epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. If you have this word implanted in your heart the way it should be, your living should reflect it in everything. And then you could be a witness to all those around you. And then they'll ask you, like, how is it that you are so calm going into cancer surgery? Or you are so calm because the Holy Spirit, the word, the promises, they're in my heart. They're there, and they help me. And that is a reflection on the word of God and how God will use it in your life. And it opens a door for you to share what you know. So now you become, I don't know, the hospital chair next to you becomes your pulpit. You know, fishing in a boat with somebody is your pulpit. Your pulpit could be anywhere and not necessarily right here. Secondly, there are serving gifts. It says, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. In our own ability, we are weak. Our works can mount up to nothing but more than wood, hay, or stubble, as the word tells us. But in the spirit of God's strength and in the supernatural ability that we learned back in our last season and the season before, we have the ability to do anything. Never think you can't do it. Because, again, that's a lie from the enemy that wants to tell you, you don't have that gift. You can't do that. I remember I was invited to go and speak in South America, and I was like, oh, my, I don't even speak Spanish. <laughs> you know, how is that going to happen? And, but it was, an, it was a vision the Lord gave me many years before. I just thought it was just some weird vision. I'm not ever going to happen. And I was there, and when it was almost done, I go, oh, that's that vision, you know. The Lord took me to a foreign place, and I was able to minister, and it was just amazing. It blew me away. And um, so I was 
God blows us away. He wants to blow us away with what he can do with a willing vessel. We are vessels made of clay. We're, we're easily, easily broken, but God wants to use us anyway. And because he does, there will be no disputing in how we have this ability. It is only through his righteousness that we could do anything and do anything right. In closing, is there ever a time that we are to withhold our gifts? I would say no. However, there are times that we need to wait and pray before we make a move. One thing I've learned, and I'm still learning, is how, how to marry love with wisdom when managing these gifts. You see, we can sometimes unwisely move with our emotions or our compassions more than with the wisdom of God. Now, the world knows what a Christian is commanded to be. They know that we are to be kind and generous and that we, in our commitment to Jesus and his instructions for our daily living. In fact, statistics show that around the world, donations of money, time, and even people's lives are given in abundance by Christians. But when a person who comes to you for their comfort, for their peace, and for their constant needs, who never seem to grow independent of you and dependent on God, then that's when you must withdraw. First and foremost, because you can stand in the way of that person getting to know El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. You become their sufficiency. John the Baptist said, and John the Baptist was regarded highly by Jesus. He said, I am not even worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Remember, all the glory has to go to Jesus and no one else, and especially not us. Secondly, though you have the heart and the power of God dwelling in you, you are still a pilgrim. You are passing through this life. And one day you're going to move into eternity. So what is that person going to do if they are left behind and you are not there that they can depend on? They can never find their sufficiency in us. It is our responsibility, just like it was John the Baptist and all the disciples, to turn them to Jesus. No, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the one. Point them to Jesus. He is the only one that can go the distance with them because we can't. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, my God, for your holy word, for the word that just cuts deep into our souls and transforms us, Lord God, and renews us and turns us into these incredible saints. It's hard to even believe that you would call us a saint when we are such sinners. But I know it's by your grace and your mercy and your kindness that we have, and especially your love, that we can do all things through Christ, our Savior. I pray, my God, that as we now start out this journey in your word, that you would uh, bring my sisters back, Lord, to hear these incredible truths and the power that is in each one of these words that are more than just words. They are attributes from our God that are, trans that are transmitted into us so that we can share with this world that's 
in desperate need of a Savior. I pray, Father, for revival. I pray that we would be bold, that we would not be afraid of this generation that it seems to be kind of scary sometimes, but that we would reach out to them, that you would, Lord, I don't know that they're going to come here, so can we go out? Can you give us the power to go out and not be afraid to approach some young person with your truth? Lord, raise up evangelists in these last days. Give them that gift that we need in this world, Lord, just like the evangelist that reached me 47 years ago. I love you, Lord, and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God